0: The scripture reading for today is Acts chapter 26, verses 13 to 18. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. For those of you who are joining from your homes, we welcome you to our Sunday corporate worship. We are so grateful that this month, month of February, we designated it to be Missions Month. We got to hear from our missionary partners, locally and globally. Today you get to hear from our global missionary partners how God has been at work in the midst of all the challenges. And we are so grateful as a church that our ministry and missions has not stopped. Uh, Because we move and we are inspired by, we are empowered by the unstoppable work of the Holy Spirit who is at work even this morning with us. And I'm grateful that I get to wrap up our missions month uh, with a sermon today and we know that as Khan just prayed. Uh, Missions month close uh, with today's service, but our missions will never end until Jesus comes back. So our missions continues on. Today I'll be sharing from Book of Acts with a title, Motivation for Evangelism. Evangelism or evangelizing is sharing or proclaiming the Good News, the Gospel, Evangelion, the Good News of Jesus Christ. Max Stiles in his book on evangelism defines evangelism as this, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Persuade people to come to know and put their trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. A recent Barna research, interestingly, shows that about half of practicing Christian millennials, and we're not against millennials, we love you, and I think millennials represent or reflect our culture, our cultural movement. Half of practicing Christian millennials think that it's wrong to evangelize. In the slide, uh, I highlighted it um, about half of those who are active at church in their 20s and 30s say that it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with anyone of a different faith in hope that they will one day share the same faith. What do you say to that? Is it wrong to evangelize or to share the gospel with someone of a different faith in hope that they too will one day share the same faith and know Jesus Christ. There may be a number of different reasons why many Christians either think that it's wrong to evangelize or don't want to evangelize. A fear of men could be one. Busyness with life is another. Spiritual apathy, maybe. Or think that Christianity is just one religion amongst the cafeteria of many religions that you can pick and choose. So why do you try to convert someone from one religion to another when all religion leads to the same God? And that notion, philosophically, is just doesn't make sense. I don't need to get into that. It's, it, no religion will think that way, really. The research indicates that one of the biggest reasons of deterring Christians from sharing the gospel to those with no faith is the cultural pressure, cultural expectation against judging personal choices. The cultural mantra that we live in these days is you do you and don't criticize anyone anyone's life's choices. Again, it's not just the millennials. That's the air that we breathe in our lives. So what do we do? Do we simply say, you do you, and we go on our way? Well, today's passage shows how Paul also lived under a very similar cultural pressure and resistance. But Paul did not shy away from evangelizing. He did everything to persuade people to come to believe in Jesus because Jesus is not just one of many ways to come to God or one truth among many truths. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the only way. In verse 28, which we didn't get to read, it says, The king Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? To which Paul answers in the next verse, Short time or long time, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Because Paul was being imprisoned. He was in chains. He was being Persecuted. He was threatened to death because of the faith, and not just the faith, but because he was trying to persuade people to believe in Jesus. It wasn't just awkwardness. It was persecution. And Paul was willing to take it all. Paul would say, it's not wrong to evangelize. It's wrong to think that it's wrong to evangelize. If you know what the gospel is, so we have every good reasons to share the good news here and now, and Lord willing will be sent into some remote villages and nations where the gospel has not reached. Paul was willing to risk his life, to give everything to spread the good news. And the question is, what motivated him to do that? What were the reasons for Paul to evangelize, even to give up everything to do, to share, to spread the good news? From today's uh, today's passage, we see at least three good reasons, three compelling motivations for evangelism. Today's message, if you're a Christian, hopefully this message will equip you and motivate you to share the good news personally, invite your friends and families, your neighbors to our church services or Alpha. If you're a non-Christian listening to this message, this message will help you to understand why this morning somebody woke you up and dragged you to come to the service Why your friend or family member has been nagging you or trying to convince you to put your trust in Christ or invite you to our church or Alpha. So reason number one, why do we evangelize? Why do we share the good news? Because the offer of the gospel, the good news, is so incredibly good to keep it to ourselves. We read in verse 18, Paul is sent by Jesus to open the eyes or their eyes, the people's eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive, not earn, receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. In me faith in Jesus the offer of the gospel is many fold there are many many good gifts that flows out of the fountain of the gospel of Jesus Christ now this passage points to two things one receiving the forgiveness of sins two, receiving a place Among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. Let me break it down for you. First, receiving the forgiveness of sins. What is the greatest problem of humanity? It's not COVID. It's not finance or economy. It's relationship. Think about your own life. What gives you the greatest heartache? At the end of the day, it comes down to broken relationship. Bible shows us how ultimately the greatest problem is the broken relationship with God. And Bible calls it sin. People throughout history have tried to deal with the problem of sin by seeking or making different religions seeking counseling, doing good works, medicating. In the Old Testament, sin problem was dealt through an animal sacrifice and that animal sacrifice was pointing to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for our sins on the cross. The sin problem, the debt that we owe to God, Jesus took it to himself. Jesus paid the debt for you. If you are ever in any kind of debt, especially a big debt, you know the kind of burden that you carry every day, especially when you're not able to work and make money. It's impossible to pay back the debt. The debt will haunt you. It will make your life miserable. But then imagine someone comes along and says, you know what? I will cover for you. I'm going to pay the debt for you. Uh, No interest? You don't even have to pay back the principal. I mean, it's unbelievably good. I mean, it's really like, why? It's so good. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you and me. When you put your trust in Jesus and what he did for you on that cross, Jesus' blood covers all of your sins. Jesus has paid all the debt you owe to God. Again, it's too good to be true. It's unbelievably and incredibly good, but it is true. That's one of the offers of the gospel. That is too good to be true to keep it to yourself when that offer is offered to everyone who would put their trust in Jesus. And then there is more. Second, receiving a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. So, forgiveness of our sins and then receiving a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. The, The word place is a translation of a word in Greek that means a portion, a lot, a share, dividend, possession, or inheritance. The verbal form of that word place is to inherit. You don't earn inheritance. You receive it as a gift from your parents. Your debt is not just covered or paid for by Jesus, when you put your trust in Jesus, everything that Jesus possesses becomes yours. You become co-heirs with Christ in God's kingdom. You are adopted into the family of God as his beloved sons, as his beloved daughters. In fact, everything that belongs to God is yours. I mean, if you really believe that, that, that will change your life. That will change your perspective about life. If your father is the most powerful, wealthy man in the universe, how would you live your life? How would you live your life differently? Not only that, your father has the power to give any kind of healing for sickness. And even after you die, you are raised to life to be in a place with him where there's no sickness or suffering or death. That is too good to be true. And the gospel says that's exactly what you receive as your inheritance as God's beloved child. Would you panic if you're facing some kind of an exam that could determine your career? I mean, yes, you'll be anxious. You'll be working hard. You'll be not sleeping much. But if you really know who you are, that you are beloved daughter of God, servant of Christ, who owns everything. If you know whose you are, that you are beloved child of God, that in the midst of all the pressures of life and trials, uncertainties, yes, you may be a bit anxious, but you will not be too anxious to the point of panicking. You wouldn't be panicking if you're not getting what you really want to get, whether it's a certain job or you're not getting a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you're not able to marry, or are not getting married, or you're not able to have a child, all those are agonizing realities. But if you really know who you are and whose you are, a place that you have in the heavenly kingdom, you would be free from needing to have it. Yes, we work hard, we work diligent, we pursue, we try to have what we desire to have, but we would pursue it loosely. And even if we have what we want to have, we would hold it loosely. But You hold on to the inheritance that you have in Christ tightly. You hold on to Jesus tightly, but everything else, uh, you're set free to hold it rather loosely. Personally, that's what I've been experiencing. Uh, I love church ministry. Even if Somebody comes up to me and says, you can teach at this institution or do something else. Lord willing, I would love to keep doing what I'm doing right now. I love my job. If you call pastoral ministry a job. At the same time, I don't hold it too tightly. If God calls me elsewhere, it's okay. As long as I am with Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Those who are are married, live as though you're not married. What what is he saying? Those who have big business, live as though you don't have that big business. Those who are are mourning, don't mourn. Rejoice. Don't don't live as though you're uh, mourning. What is he trying to say? Basically he's saying, if you have Christ, and if you know who you are and whose you are, you can hold things, but hold things lightly. You will be free to enjoy everything but not idolize it, not, cap, not not captured by it to the point where if I don't have it, I'm going to die. No, you're set free. You have a place in God's household as a beloved child of God. So Christians, brothers and sisters, do you know the riches of, of God's blessing in your life, not just forgiveness, but His glorious inheritance, the immeasurable riches of God's graces, Grace and kindness towards you who believe in Jesus. Evangelism is an overflow of our experience of God's goodness. We, we, we experience it to be so, so incredibly, unbelievably good that I get to have what I get to have in Jesus. I have to share this. I just cannot keep it to myself. It would be too selfish for me to keep it to myself. And so if you, don't, if you haven't experienced it and you call yourself a Christian, number one, like, I would question whether you really understand the gospel. Number two, if you don't have it as a Christian, before you go out or take a workshop on evangelism, how you do evangelism is not going to help. You need to know why. You need to be filled with the overflowing goodness of God in Jesus Christ so the evangelism becomes not just a duty, It's not a duty, it's a delight. And those of you who have not received this gift of forgiveness, a place among those who are sanctified by putting trust and faith in Jesus, today I want to invite you, if you have this burden of guilt haunted by darkness and depression and emptiness, you're seeking for something, but you're not... Being healed, you're not, you're not able to get it. Well, all these needs and longings point to Jesus. You need to know and have Christ. What you are pursuing in life, work, family, religions, hobbies, entertainment, all those law, human longings point to our need for Jesus. I've heard many people saying at New Hope in this season, thinking about and praying for their family members or friends who don't know Jesus, how could they live without Jesus in this season of pandemic? Not just pandemic, in this life. You need God. You need to be restored into relationship with God. And the invitation, the offer is valid and is open for you today. So The first reason, Evangelize is because the offer of the gospel is so incredibly good to keep it to ourselves. The second reason is the absence of the gospel is so terribly bad to not bring it to others. Jesus sends us to people who don't know Jesus. Verse 18 says again to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power or authority or dominion of Satan to God. Do you know that if you have not turned to God, you are living in darkness. You're living under the power of Satan, there is no neutral ground. You're either living in darkness or light. You're either living under the power of Satan or under the care and power of God. And it's not just living in darkness, but also dying in darkness, sharing the same fate with Satan. Now that compels us, that concerns us, to warn people to come out of darkness into God's wonderful light and to come and be saved. Jonathan Edwards, in one of his messages, uses this image about a person who is facing death, dying without Christ. All your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus know that it's so incredibly good to receive the blessings. It's too good to be true, but we also know the other side. It's so terribly, horribly bad to miss out on the blessing. It is the worst thing that could happen. So we evangelize. We share the gospel because the absence of the gospel is so detrimentally bad. And because we are not ultimately the ones who are able to open the eyes of the people. We're talking about open the eyes of the the people in a spiritual way. We are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit who will open the eyes of people's heart when we share the good news. Spirit has His role to play, and we have our role to play. It is interesting how in this verse, verse 18, When Jesus gives Paul a mission, a commission to evangelize, it's as though Paul is the one who is opening the eyes of people. I'm sending you to open their eyes, to turn from darkness to light. But we know, we know that we're not the ones. God is. But God uses our mouths, our fallible, feeble mouths, words, to call people to turn to Christ many of us have family members or friends who do not know Jesus and when it comes to family members I know myself because I have a burden in my own heart that weighs down every day when I think about my family members who have not yet put their trust in Christ Paul says in Romans 9, I have a great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Why did Paul have such agonizing sorrow and unceasing anguish in his soul? It's not just because he's thought, oh, they're missing out on this inheritance, this blessing. Yes, that's true, but he was burdened because he knew that people without Christ are drowning to death, heading down towards Christless eternity. So for those of us who know this detrimental reality of living and dying without Christ, have not just crossed the streets to evangelize to our neighbors, Many have crossed the national boundaries to evangelize to the nations at the risk of their lives and their livelihoods. And it's no joke. They risk their lives. They're willing to die because they know to die is to gain, as we sang this morning. They're compelled by the compassion of Jesus for those who are dying without Christ. They have a genuine concern that is Put into them, put into us. And I pray this morning, Lord, grant that heart to agonize over people who don't know Jesus. Without that kind of a spirit, there is no evangelism. There is no genuine evangelism. But because of that, we weep. Spurgeon said, winners of souls must first be weepers for souls. Lord, help me. Lord, help us to have that heart. So we share the good news because the offer of the gospel is so incredibly, unbelievably good to keep to ourselves. Not only that, we evangelize because the absence of the gospel is so horribly and terribly bad to not tell others. Lastly, The God of the gospel is so magnificently glorious to not sing about it to the nations. And I'm glad we opened our service today with psalm that says, Sing to the Lord. Let the nations hear the marvelous work of God, God's salvation. Paul's encounter with Jesus left an indelible mark on his soul for the rest of his life. So he recounts his encounter with Jesus three times in the book of Acts. And it's recounted as seeing a light from heaven, a light that is beyond the brilliance of the sun. At midday, verse 13 says, I saw on the way a light from heaven. Brighter than the sun. What, what that encounter with Jesus to Paul does is not just turning him from darkness to light, but it turns him from darkness to delight. Evangelism is fueled by joy and delight in Jesus. It's, we, we, we sing to evangelism. We sing into evangelize. Evangelism is our extension of delighting in Jesus. It's an extension of our singing to Jesus. It's, it's an extension of our worship. That's why one pastor said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Evangelism and worship go hand in hand. Evangelism is just the other side of the coin. We sing to the nations about the glorious God of the gospel, about Jesus who loves us and gave himself up for us because he loves us. And we're inviting people to sing with us. Let's sing to this God, the creator God who loves you, the redeemer God who died for you, the resurrected king who rose from the dead, who rules and reigns as king of kings and all nations will worship him. And we want to sing to him. We want to adore him. And we want more people to know him. I had a privilege of presiding over a burial service this Monday for Elder Valerian. One elder in Russian ministry, he's a spiritual father figure for Russian ministry. And as we were remembering and honoring his life, I heard a very moving story about his sacrificial love for his wife, Marina. Marina. November of 1996, late in the evening, on their way home, Elder Valerian and his wife Marina, they were ambushed and violently attacked by three seasoned criminals with an intent of torture and robbery. While defending his wife and giving her chance to escape, Elder Valerian received five gunshot wounds, one in his right arm, two in his left leg, one in the right thigh and one in abdomen, resulting in intestinal damage and internal bleeding. He was taken to ER in a critical condition with a massive blood loss loss and a full body shock state. And because he was in such a critical condition and could not be kept on the surgical table too long, they were only able to take out four bullets from his body and he did survive and was reunited to his wife, Marina. From the incident, he lived on limping on one side. And those of you who know him, you know how I still remember him. You know, he would look, he would, he would see me at church and he would say, oh, pastor, and then he would give me a big hug, but then he would, he would limp. And the reason was the bullet was later found in the x-ray, still sitting in his right thigh muscle. So he limped ever since that in- incident. Now, think about what that must have done to his wife, Marina. Her husband was willing to die for her, and he almost did die. Whenever she sees the scars in his body, what would she be thinking? Oh, my husband loves me. He protected me. He saved me. Whenever he gets, she gets to tell her story to people, I imagine her sharing that story about her husband, how he took the gunshots to save her. And I'm sure the, the kind of love and respect that she had after the incident changed, must have changed, greater love, greater respect, greater honor for her husband who was willing to give his life. Now Jesus did not just almost die. He didn't just almost die for you, he actually died for you. He actually died for you on that cross. Spears piercing to his side. Nails piercing his hands. Nails piercing through his feet. And when you look at the nail scars of Jesus, his hand and his feet, how can you and I not be moved to honor him, to love him, to respect him, to sing about him, and tell others about him? It's our joy. It's our delight. It's our honor to tell others about Jesus. So missions really is singing about Jesus. That's the heart of missions. Spreading the joy and adoration of Jesus, our Savior. So church, let's sing into missions. Let's sing into evangelism. Let me share one final story about Alder Valerian. While recovering in ICU for seven days, He was visited by a pastor who shared the gospel. And at the hospital, he repented of his sins and accepted Jesus. He joined the church a few weeks later and became a very active and faithful Christian, sharing the gospel and his personal testimony about God and his life and how God saved him and his wife. After he immigrated to Canada, everywhere he would go, And whenever he hears a Russian language being spoken by somebody, Valerian would approach those people and initiate conversation about God. And I'm told Marina, his wife, and his family members would feel so uncomfortable and at times so embarrassed. But Elder Valerian would never feel shy doing that for Jesus he was a very bold and unapologetic man when he, come, when he came to preaching the gospel and talking about Jesus to those who are not saved yet. And I heard a story that uh, it happened at the Highlands Farm when uh, Elder Valerian and his wife Marina went for grocery shopping. They were walking in this aisle with fruits and vegetables and Valerian overheard a couple speaking in Russian even though they didn't look like a a typical ethnic Russian, Aldo Valerian approached them in his traditional, very simple, unassuming way, said, hello, where are you from? And they said they were from Tatarstan in Russia. And Valerian asked them his favorite question. Do you know Jesus? And long story short, the couple accepted Jesus. Their names are Ranet and Jula, and they joined our Russian ministry and they got baptized. The way or the how he evangelized may be crude. Maybe he, he should have taken our evangelism workshop. But why he evangelized, I trust, was very good. I trust that Elder Valerian knew why he had to he he was compelled to he was delighted to share the gospel he had he must have had all three motivations for evangelism that the offer of the gospel is so incredibly good to keep it to ourselves and the absence of the gospel is so terribly bad to not tell others about and that the god of the gospel is so wonderfully and beautifully glorious. So that we want to invite anybody and everybody, all the nations, to sing to Jesus. What about you? What about me? What about our church? Do you have those motivations? May we as a church sing to Jesus and invite as many people locally and globally so that all nations will indeed worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So Jesus, we praise you, we sing to you, it is our joy to honor you. At the same time, we agonize, our hearts are burdened and heavy, when we think about our family members, our friends whom we care, because they don't know this joy. And we ask that even this morning as we have bowed our heads in our homes, that you will have mercy on people whom we have been praying for, that they too will taste and see that the Lord is good, that they too will understand and experience the goodness and the power of the gospel, that, that, that they too will sing to you with us and father as you invite our church to continue with our missions locally and globally may we be faithful not just faithful but joyful as our hearts are filled with gratitude with delight in our lord and savior jesus christ for whom we live and die for whom we live and do everything that we do for your glory and honor